Welcome back to the CX Insider Podcast. Today, a very, very special episode is lined up for you. As you can probably tell by the title, we've decided to create a collage of the best moments on the show from a wide range of industries. We're going to be splitting this episode into six sections. Technology slash AI, retail, the banking slash financial sector, cost of living, the automobile industry, and quick fires. So if you want to watch a section that best suits you, you can go right ahead and do that. For our YouTube viewers, each section is titled so if anything stands out to you you can go ahead and search the title to watch the full episode before we get into it a huge thank you to our sponsor ACF Technologies global leaders in customer experience management solutions so let's begin with the tech section enjoy the conversations I think you can automate to an extent if we go back to what I was saying earlier can you eliminate something can you reduce something well then can you automate it and I'd go that way around I wouldn't necessarily start with automation upfront because you might be hiding the root cause of something. Okay. Just because you've automated it, it might be out of sight and out of mind for you. But if there's a root cause problem there and that you need to go and solve it within your business, then then you should do that. So mm. I think automation works. Some of the pitfalls of automation would be that you can automate things that are repetitive and yeah. easy. And so what you're doing then for your team, you're giving them the hardest stuff to deal with because you've picked off all the easy stuff. Mm -hmm. So now you've changed the nature of their role. So you need to make sure that what they're dealing with, they're equipped to deal with it. And imagine if you get, I don't know, two, three contacts, you get an easy one and you get a slightly medium one mm -hmm. and a slightly harder one to deal with. If going forwards, everything's just really hard to deal with. It's a tough role. It changes the You're job. You're always cherry picking the easy ones and giving that to the AI, aren't you? Indeed. Yeah. So I think, you know, uh, that's the glass half empty view. Okay. The glass half full is that if, depending on the type of your contact center and what services you're providing, if you're giving people advice on products and you talk to them about an event that they're going to and style advice, well, that's a great mm. kind of call to have. And it's not one that AI can deal with at least today to my knowledge. Um, so you, you, you get to have like those kinds of conversations. Yeah. So I think it depends on what your contact center is trying to do and what types of contact you're dealing with. So if a brand is thinking about using virtual reality to tap into the emotional drivers of their customers, then what are the potential challenges of doing that? because it doesn't exactly sound easy. And beyond that, is using VR to enhance customer experience even worth considering, or is it just another fad? Uh, yes, it's worth it. It's, okay. uh, it's, a, it's a whole new world. It's like a, the Wild West currently mm. in the virtual world. And it, that's gonna have to be regulated. I think there are some big factors, not even necessarily ethical, but just social interactions that we have rules that govern our social interactions and our social spaces when we're in person that we haven't yet learned mm. in a virtual world. Yeah, so there are yeah. lots of examples, particularly in terms of between men and women, where the virtual world is not a safe space for women um, because the types of behaviours that men don't show, hopefully, in person, they will to an avatar. Mm. And so we need to deal with those kind of issues first. And, and even if we're you talked about like a, a salesperson having a bad day yep. in a bad day in the virtual world may read completely differently. So yeah, you true. might need to be extra yeah. because you're not getting this sort of bodily language, these tiny little micro cues that we're all giving each other right now. You're nodding. So I'm thinking I'll carry <laughs> on, you know, you're yeah. smiling. I'm like, they like this, you know, that's really hard in yeah. a virtual world. So are you going to have to have some emoji on your face that's going to yeah. like lift up your smile even more? AI can be a very powerful tool that could make our work more efficient if we learn how to use it properly. 
it can automate a lot of things to give us more time to actually do the creative stuff. Mm-hmm could substitute, I guess, some jobs. Others, it will make it more efficient. And humans will have to adapt to that. What do you feel about artificial intelligence making decisions in more critical situations, like like in healthcare, for example? There's a lot of research on AI that interprets X-ray. And actually, in some cases, it comes to make a better diagnosis than actual specialists. But it also does make mistakes. And the problem is, can you hold a machine responsible for the life of a human being? Can you? Can you take it to court? Where is the liability? So AI is a tool to help us become better. And in this particular case, like healthcare, it should always be vetted by a human, a specialist, a doctor, or a counsel with the AI as an input, but not as the final decision maker. Yeah, probably is the morally best place for it to stay for now. Right, indeed. On the CX Insider podcast, we speak a lot about the future of technology in various different industries, from retail to banking and even the automobile world. But what about the healthcare industry? Is there any technology within the healthcare space that Katie would like to see more of in the future? I think one of the big things that I always wanted to see when I started my career was more transparency being able to see, you know, a a health record that was for for everyone and everyone could have access to it, which, you know, at the time was just an absolute pipe dream. But now we are moving towards that space. But, you know, sooner rather than later, I would love to see one patient record that regardless of where I am anywhere across the world, I know we'll start with Australia, be able to access that record myself to be able to provide, you know, wearable data or mental health information into that. And also for any other health professional who I given consent to be able to access and contribute to that health record so that 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 is a single source of truth we've all got watches we've all got all of the you know the things that we're collecting all of this data for but to centrally manage that and be able to you know put it into the hands of the right people i think it'll really improve the care that we're providing to our patients and also their overall experience This section will be split into two parts. The first will be all about the financial slash banking sector and the second will be about the cost of living with our guests talking about how it impacts customer behavior and how companies are tackling this crisis. Is there any one initiative or thing that you've done at HSBC, in particular with the employees that you're either proud of or is going well, or maybe not well, but you know, whatever you want to share, is there anything that you, stands out? So one of the recent pieces of work that we have developed uh, within our team was to bring that brand promise to life through a brand narrative and a campaign. So we developed last year a brand narrative, a brand platform that it was called Open Questions. We are very proud of that of that work because it was a very extensively tested with our customers around the globe. Okay. But it's also quite an interesting creative narrative because open questions are generally thought provoking. People love to be answering questions, asking yeah. questions, you know, it means that it's a dialogue, it's a two-way conversation yeah. with with people that are listening to us. And because we are in a world with, you know, increasing levels of uncertainty, questions are everywhere and not mm. everyone has, you know, is able to answer those, but I think it's it's about asking questions. That's that's where the power of questions lies. So we've developed, you know, a really beautiful creative route and we we launched it in our uh, firstly in our airport, so it's live in in some of our major major hubs such mm-hmm. as um, Hong Kong, uh, UK, Singapore, China, so you will see it in jet bridges if you travel. And it's basically a super priming campaign which means that it's to really raise people 
people's awareness of HSBC, mm. but it's also to really attract their attention, to really grab yeah. their their view whilst they are traveling. Yeah. The questions are from across our four strategic pillars. So they're about international connectivity. They are about legacy, about wealth. They're about diversity and inclusion. They're about human connections. They're about digitization, mm -hmm. but especially kind of technology trends such as, you know, the increasing power of AI. And they're also about sustainability and inevitably because that's one of the strategic pillars. Yeah. So again, sustainability transitioning to net zero. Could you maybe share some insight into what similarities or differences you perceive between customer behavior in those uh, two different markets? Well, you know, every, um, I would say location, they have their own nuances, they have their own preferences and they have what drives their day-to-day -day transactions, right? Over here in the UK, the uh, mode of transaction is not as cash-based compared to Nigeria today, even though we are getting over there as well. And then also there is um, the level of organization, right? And also this infrastructure. But in Nigeria today, we are progressing, we are getting there. Especially with the advent of this, um, the, the, the um, narrow redesign, there's been an increase in transaction velocity. That means the banks are being forced to either step up their game in the infrastructure, right? And also we've seen new entrants, right? The fintechs and the new banks are coming on board, you know, which are things that have already been happening over here. But I think customer expectations are universal. Banking, they want to be able to get their banking transactions done on time, all right, and seamlessly. So I think that is basic. But however, you could have the changes because of the economies. There are different economies. The level of growth might be different. The I mean, organizations in those economies should be able to domesticate their customer experience to meet the needs of their customers. You meet them where they are. Years ago, when I was developing the complaints management process, I actually learned from one of the big banks here in the UK, right? I understood their process and I was able to adapt it, domesticate it that meets the needs of the Nigerian mark, I mean, banking space, right? Then adopt same. Customers' behaviors are actually impacted based on the environment, right? What's going on, what is happening around the, the economy and, and a lot of other things. The branch will not disappear. In the, in the next coming years, the branch is, is, is to remain, okay? Because it is offering value to some part of the population and it, it will keep doing that. But what we have to do, and it's already been done, and Santander is, I think, is a clear example of it, the branch has to reinvent itself. We have to forget the idea of the traditional branch as we know it, and we have to do the branch to, to, to make that the branch would be a more collaborative way, um, a space, physical space, to get together people, not just bank and customers or non-customers, but we have to promote networking within our branches. We have to promote, as we said earlier, education about the new ways of doing things. The branch is a perfect place to get together our customers and explain to them concepts that we think are relevant to the new branch. My opinion, the branch has to remain. That's why we are here trying to explore new ideas for the branch, the physical space, okay? But obviously it's a reality that many people are not going to the branch and are doing anything that they need using a different channels, okay? But the branch is another channel. We have to give in value and we have to fight for it. Open banking came about largely due to complaints that were made to CMA around the lack of access to banking information from third parties. And this was about 
around about things like account switching. So a new startup bank starts up, but all of the banking details and information and data are available at a different bank for that customer. How do they get access so that they can then leverage that to support a customer and enhance their services? That's kind of how it started. It evolved over time and combined a little bit with with a European-wide initiative, PSD2. And what we ended up with in the UK is a a CMA-led initiative to open up banks' data for customers, and that's called account information service provider, mm-hmm. yep. uh, and then also payments to allow third parties to make payments on behalf of users, so payment information. But what we now have available is APIs that have been set up by the banks that allow third parties to be able to go and make payments with the consent of a customer mm-hmm. and also to get their information for a period of time and use that information to provide services. When we decided that we'd use open banking, that meant that we weren't actually using cards so we don't we don't use cards for any part of the, the process um, and that means we still we still needed some form of strong identity but we did that using digital identities and therefore that's the reason why people have a mobile app a one bank's mobile app to log into the kiosk securely but it's all off the shelf technologies to a certain degree there's a bit of work we've needed to do and invest in to actually ensure that we can log people in across you know, your mobile phone to the branch. But, but you know, this is stuff that is pretty well thought out in the digital space, and it's quite strong. A card is something you have, a physical card, a chip on it, and it's a four-digit pin. Yep. Now, and even now, I think we could all look at each other and go, is four digits enough? And it doesn't, doesn't feel like enough, really, does it, for any password? So a digital identity in that respect can feel a bit stronger as well. So we do feel that we've got quite a strong solution using digital identity, and that's what we've implemented um, in our kiosks. Customers don't give second chances in a, in a crisis. How do you think that the cost of living crisis in which we are right now, how do you think this impacts customer behavior? We've seen from our research that customers certainly in the last quarter are are definitely more concerned about generally uh, the cost of living and what that has in terms of their their purchase decisions and we're seeing that concern that's greater than than in the in the second quarter of the year and what that means is that customers are looking now to pull back on potentially spending you know uh, luxury items going out uh, for dinner some of those things that actually you would you would like to do so they're cutting back on some of those And we all know clearly that customers are cutting back on energy and all of those things. So that means that they are becoming more price sensitive. You can see from the Institute of Customer Service, the UK Customer Satisfaction Index, that when they ask customers what was the most important thing you were going to consider in the next two years when engaging with a products and service provider, it was absolutely price. That was top of the list. So it is absolutely driving behavior. But I think the important point to know in that study, it also said that customers, it's not just about price, it's about service excellence. And there's around 35% of customers would definitely pay more for a service that they believe is really providing that excellent service. And that's more than the 12% at the bottom are just purely about price. So I think that's the key point here is that it's price, yes, but actually they're going to consider the service they're going to get. And I think the fundamental point for me is the second more important thing that customers are now going to be considering is whether they trust that organization. And trust really is at the heart of this. If you've not built that reputation for a trusted brand, the customers that that talk about you don't really trust what you do, you're really going to struggle no matter what your price position is to be able to attract that customer and retain them. So that's absolutely key. In a way, promoting diversity and inclusion should also mean that you're considerate and accepting of others who view the world differently, and those whose perspectives and philosophy differ from your own. 
This stance of inclusion resonates across multiple pillars of society, including customers with various economic situations too. In our time of inflation, how is HSBC tackling the cost of living crisis from a customer experience angle? The way we react to this landscape will vary slightly market by market. Mm -hmm. But for everyone, the crisis will manifest itself in a slightly different way, which is why there isn't really a, you know, a one size fits all approach or answer to it. The, the best way to approach it is really to just communicate that there are ways and there are means and there are solutions. And you just need to encourage people through call to action to, to have that conversation and then whatever your specific situation is, there are solutions for that. And then in other markets, there might be slightly different problems. So I think it all needs to start with a very robust social listening mm. and research exercise mm -hmm. just to understand what are the top five pain points that people are struggling with as part of that cost of living crisis. And then to really manage the proposition accordingly first, and then to develop a campaign around it. But it has to be an orchestrated effort between brand marketing, product, proposition team, mm -hmm. and obviously, yeah. um, and it has to be aligned with the strategy of the bank all, all together. The, the, the thing is, it has to yeah. be customized, right? It has to be personalized. And that's why it varies from one market to another. That, make, that makes a lot of sense. I think definitely one thing I've picked up over the years with customer experience is brand image and brand equity quite commonly built in the toughest of times. Mm -hmm. So when the chips are down for a customer, either they face a challenge or they're stuck and they're in a difficult situation, especially in a financial sense, that's when your brand, if it then plays a positive role and a helping role, that's when I think you create the most positive brand experience for the long term. This next section will dive into the world of retail. From Selfridges to Vacheron to Hotel Chocolat, we have had some incredible retail experts on the podcast. So here's what some of them have had to say, starting with Sham's secret formula to customer service success. I ended up going down this road where I thought we could turn it into a formula. Okay. Um, and so essentially, it's the idea that if you could resolve something, it could lead to a better reputation, mm -hmm. which could then lead to retention. So the formula would be resolution times reputation okay. times retention equals fire emoji. Okay. And so <laughs> the idea is if you can nail those three points, then there'll be fire emojis. And, mm -hmm. and that's kind of the goal. That's where anyone and everyone's trying to get to. If we think a little bit to our marketing colleagues, retention is that sort of golden metric that everybody's trying to get to and i believe you could do that through customer service mm -hmm. so like for me customer service is the glue that 100%. binds products services and experiences and so if we can do a bit of a rebranding exercise in the world of customer service and demonstrate that value back into the business uh, then we get a seat at the table i wanted to talk a little bit about online shopping what effect do you think online shopping has had within your industry it, it's really interesting because obviously uh, digital has changed everything in all the industries and uh, watchmaking industry when you compare it to other industries let's say um, fashion for example is watchmaking is much less advanced and there's many reasons for for that i suppose maybe one of them is the fact that um as an industry, even if we are looking ahead of us, we're also looking backwards to our heritage, etc., which uh, we are extremely proud of. Uh, and there's other industries where, that are exclusively looking uh, forward. And so we tend to be a bit less fast-paced than um, other industries. And uh, so we've been quite late at adopting uh, e-commerce 
and digital overall. Most of the brands, especially at the higher end brands, are not selling um, online yet. I believe personally that this is almost a mistake, if I may, in the sense that whether we like it or not, extremely high-end uh, watches are already traded online. Most of the bids are actually either coming over the phone or over um, uh, internet. And so this is how customers are, are shopping uh, watches uh, and pretty much anything. And so, yes, I believe it's just a trend that people are living and us as an industry, but pretty much anyone. And even more so, I would say when you're evolving in the luxury industry, your goal and your purpose is to serve your, your customers. And so if your customers are willing to purchase online, then so be it. And my job will be to facilitate that. A hotel chocolate sounds like it's incredibly important to people. And you're right, in retail, it's about people. They're the, you've got a store, that's who people remember, isn't it? Customers remember those people. How do you recruit for that? Because I also spent 10 years in retail and I was a branch manager and all that kind of stuff. And I remember at the time it was recruitment process was pretty awful to be honest it was like oh can they work weekends and that was it <laughs> yeah what do they look like can they work weekends can they use a till almost but that doesn't necessarily create a great customer experience what do you guys do is there any kind of secret to that that we should all be thinking about it's a really good question because okay. it is a chat it's a challenge that retailers really grapple with mm. and i think various retailers have tried different things to various degrees of success pret's probably the most famous one where mm. they get people to actually work in the store and then the colleagues decide whether they get a job or not Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Which I think is brilliant, that right? That's amazing, yeah. Because you all know you only need one person that doesn't quite fit and the whole energy it's of like that Like a poison store. pill almost, yeah. just like brings it all down. Yeah, yeah you're right. So they, they actually kind of shortlist people. Clearly there's competency interviews and of things. Course, yeah. But then when they've got their shortlist, they go and work in a store and then the colleagues go, yeah, we want to hire him or right. we don't we want him on the team. Shift. <laughs> a, yeah. yeah, that's a brilliant idea. I didn't mm -hmm. even know that existed. And actually I picked this up from a retailer I was working with in Holland, in the Netherlands. Think about the store as your house, okay. your home. So when someone steps over the threshold of the, the, the shop front, they're coming into your home. Mm. You know, would you ignore someone coming into your home? Of course you wouldn't. You'd go and greet them and say hello. Mm. Um, you'd want to make them feel comfortable. Mm. And, and for me, that's what you want in a store environment. And that's what I look for when I'm recruiting people is who, okay. who brings that humanness. That energy. Yeah. Right. And that energy. Do you have any ideas or thoughts that you've had specifically in retail, how everyday integration with ChatGPT could elevate the retail experience for both employees and customers? I think the first one is about uh, what comes to my mind when you're talking, it's about the service for online, because the biggest uh, pain point that we see on the online experience is lack of human touch. And this I wanted to mention that it will always be there. And we as people are, are starving for the interactions. And I would say that for online is missing and i would say i see it's implemented in every website in the future as a even in the form of the person talking to me where i can ask the question discuss have some doubts and even challenge a little bit the product and i see that usage of it with the real-time database would be amazing to understand the product features the allergens everything that is connected with the fears that customers might have and the pain point that we need to solve for instance imagine that you lost your parcel you've ordered and normally it's nice mm -hmm. because uh, you wanted to ask nobody's answered the call the chat 
is off and what do you do? And if you have this chat GPT with real time and probably filled in and he has a knowledge how to solve your problem, he could propose you the solution even on the real time. And that's what's happening already in certain platforms that the returns take, I don't know, three minutes. No, there is not any more need to claim something. So the team needs to sit. As I remember, we used to have the customer claiming something. Then we look at it and then we decide, okay, yes or no. And now you can automatize it. And finally, this is our section all about the automobile industry, talking about the general public's consensus, the regulations set in place and the future of the industry, starting with Dr. Claire Mutzenich and the Seventh Sense Driving the Future study. One of the things that we've found year on year, and like you say, we're, we're just about to start a new wave, is that the general public don't really want automated solutions. Mm. They, they want to own a car yeah. to start. Even Gen Z that you think would be particularly, you know, loving technology, mm. digital natives, they want to own a car. They still see themselves yeah. driving mm. and they don't want to relinquish, you know, uh, uh, the opportunity to have their own mm -hmm. car. Generationally, we have similar attitudes that range from being really scared, very skeptical to absolutely love it. Sign me up for my, you know, yeah. autonomous yeah. utopia. <laughs> when I started my PhD in 2018, they were saying that we'd have fully automated cars on the roads by 2025. And by the time I've been doing it a year, <laughs> it was like, ooh, mm. 2030. Yeah. And then by the time I finished, it was yeah. like, 2050 <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. now it's still like the jury's out unless you're in san francisco in which case they are on the road just recently they had cones on the bonnets like pedestrians are putting cones on the bonnets and they couldn't couldn't go really yeah <laughs> so it's like obviously it's like it's a it's an object it's yeah. a you know a solid object is it is it fair to say though that there is without a doubt a change happening in automotive industry for sure I mean, just look at the change basically in the customer behavior. Uh, yeah. There is now way more people financing or renting uh, or sharing cars than before. I mean, think a few years back, who would have shared his car or her? I know. That's mine. Uh, I know most of the day uh, it's just standing out there because I'm in the office, but it's mine. I'm not sharing. And now you have <laughs> you might move by seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, that's that's really changing. Um, and simply our approach to mobility or to mobility services is, uh, from my point of view, changing. But once again, this is a very personal view. I, I mean, who would at some point in the past agreed by you purchasing a vehicle and someone like the manufacturer can turn on and off uh, certain services in my car. Uh, uh, yes. And now it's like, oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, no I'm paying for it. This has to have a huge impact on your business model or on the approach what you're doing, obviously. No, absolutely. Because obviously technology has made a big thing. Do you think um, consumers and their use of technology is changing their kind of not only buying behavior, but also what they expect as a customer experience. And is that making a big difference, the technology that consumers are using? I'm not sure if, if the technology is, is really the, the leverage or the changing factor. I think it's it's simply the more customer and user-centric approach. First of all, they are valuing and the technology is enabling that, but I'm not sure if the technology is really the driver behind it. Again, personal uh, assumption is more that my expectation and 
and by seeing bits of different services, online services, uh, stuff like that, by being more international and seeing what's happening in other countries, in other industries. I mean, just look into the banking sector and all the fintechs in there. Why should, shouldn't this happen in my industry? I think the car industry, I mean, there is no regulation saying that you have to have an, an electric car. I mean, you can still buy a diesel mm. car and you can buy a diesel car that meets the regulations. But the public opinion has swung to completely over towards electrification. So even if, I mean, there are incentives in many countries to do this, but you see that that shift has already happened. Yeah. But And that has happened because one manufacturer, Tesla, stuck by the guns, mm -hmm. did the right thing, got to develop them to be so good at that People say, okay, now I go electric. And, 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 and then I would say that all the ones that were sticking with uh, the diesel kind of said, we will sort this out. They now have to switch over. So, I mean, yeah. all other manufacturers are switching over to fully electric cars too. Yeah, absolutely. It's tough uh, to be first. It's tough to be the leader in something. Uh, and we probably need to behave a little bit different being the leader or taking this. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. You're right, it would be different to be the leader and be the first people that are doing it or the first organization that are doing it. But would you prefer to be that? Let's say, or I suppose, look at it, Tesla, for example. Now we can see that Tesla's so successful when we chatted earlier and you were saying they're going to sell like a million cars. And in hindsight, you go, yeah, I'd absolutely want to be the Tesla. But obviously, they've gone for a lot of work to get there. And if you're doing this first in terms of electric construction equipment, is that the right place to be? Or would you prefer to Someone else did it and you learn from their mistake. I think, I think being first for Volvo fits Volvo very well. I think being first for some of the other brands doesn't fit mm. them and it will be a bigger challenge. So Volvo is more like, um, has always been into this with sustainability. I mean, all, already in the 70s, we said that this is, uh, this is the main direction that we need to take. And we have innovated a lot around this. So it's it's a space that we feel fairly comfortable going into. Okay. So and I think as a whole organization we we feel that we can take that space. And that concludes the end of the episode. Before we get into the quick fire questions, I just want to say a big, big thank you to all of our listeners and thank you to ACF Technologies for making this podcast possible. Thank you to all the hosts before me, including Louis, Alessio, Valentina and Marcel for paving the way. And thank you to our co-hosts Greg, Alex, Adam, Sophie and Simon for making the podcast come to life with their expert knowledge. I'm so proud to be in this team during this milestone. So here's to many more incredible stories and lessons in the next 100 episodes. Now that I've got all the gratitude out of the way, let's finally get in some quick fires. Dreading these questions, by the way, absolutely dreading them. Like I tried my hardest to get out of these questions. We'll start with the easy one. What's the meaning of life? No, I'm joking. <laughs> That's not really one of the questions, don't worry. <laughs> if you could go back in time, which time period would you choose to visit? I don't know, go back to Wembley in 1966, maybe. What was happening then? <laughs> I'm going to find out. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what advice would you give to someone looking to start a career in marketing? Farming is far better. Farming is better. Farming. <laughs> <laughs> how many kids do you have? Two. Two, and how old are they? They are both eight uh, because twins, you know. Uh, I, I'm highly efficient. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling that all of a sudden when you said chocolate gives you a feeling of escapism, like it's all of a sudden it became cloudy and like... <laughs> There was like more shadow and more light here, like chocolate. <laughs> what scares you? Uh, what scares me? Well, I think sometimes myself, honestly. <laughs>
<laughs> Interesting answer. <laughs> if you could interview anyone dead or alive, who would that be and why? I'd like to interview Genghis Khan. Okay. Why was he such a cruel <laughs> I don't know. Really yeah. If you could live anywhere outside of America, where would it be? Probably London. When I went there, the pace of life, the environment was just very laid back. And I was like, oh, if I was to go anywhere. Really? Yeah. I was 2011. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about a long time ago, but it was so chill. <laughs> Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid or other? Real Madrid. Other. Who is the other? I, I'm a Barcelona fan. It's, and if I have to yeah. choose, obviously it would be Atletico Madrid. Yeah, that's the reason. They always have the same problem. They do not support a team. They are no, 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 no. I support Barcelona. No. <laughs> they are contra Real Madrid, counter Real no. Madrid. It doesn't matter if no. Cadiz, Arsenal, you are going... United, you know, it doesn't matter. What's your spirit animal? <laughs> panda? Kung Fu Panda or regular Panda? <laughs> regular Panda. Let's <laughs> <laughs> check. Favorite thing to do just in your spare time? So I've started trying to make hay. Okay. This Ooh. is a new endeavor that nobody thinks I'm going to keep going. But anyway, that's that's my new hobby. Making <laughs> that's hay. Uh, yeah, properly, literally making hay. Yeah. What's the plan with the hay? To sell it? No idea. Okay. <laughs> Just, <to make laughs> Just want to do it. What is the best present you have ever received? Uh, food. <laughs> <laughs> what, what food? Do you have any favorite one? Uh, any food. I'm okay with every types of food. What would be your superpower? To have the influence to to change the minds of people. To go electric. <laughs> That's amazing because we had this conversation before and I said that but with people's minds. They all looked at me weird. So yeah, at least there's two of us that think that. <laughs>